Welcome to The Rock Podcast. The Bible clearly warns us that in the last days there would come spiritual deception and that some would abandon the faith. Here in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, Paul gives us key principles that will keep us safe from falling away. Let's listen now as Pastor Ross brings a message entitled, Hang On Tight. Alrighty, let's get started. I direct your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, it has been so long, it seems. It's only been three weeks, but that makes almost a month uh, where I have not uh, addressed you from the Bible or preached uh, on a Sunday morning. So we're going to pick up where we left off here in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, but not before we ask the Lord for his blessing. So let's do that. Now, Heavenly Father, we just can't pray enough. We, we just want to acknowledge your presence and that uh, we're looking at the God-breathed word uh, given through men, from God, from heaven, inspired by you, does not have its origin in any man, but the Holy Spirit was speaking words of life. And so we want to take those words of life as they are, the word of God, and let the word of God have its way in our hearts this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So as I was saying, we've had a break from our studies here in 1 Timothy and uh, chapter 4. And the last time we spoke, we were talking about falling away from the faith as that was the topic of the verse that we looked at. And I found it very interesting uh, that the two guest speakers, we actually had two conferences in the last few weeks Uh, that they were talking about this very same thing that we had left off, how we needed to stand strong in our faith, to defend it uh, once for all, entrusted to us this gospel against the rising tide of spiritual deception, false teaching during this great apostasy, and all the word means, that word means is falling away. And now Dr. Mark Hitchcock uh, took it from the end, from the revelation, and, and really encouraged us that even though there would be a moral uh, degeneration and also a theological uh, falling away, that we should stand firm and hold fast to the promises of God. And then Dr. Tommy Mitchell went to the beginning. Now, so did you notice that? We had exhortations to, to embrace the scripture as reliable in Genesis and in Revelation, and it's just really interesting how God put that together, because I didn't do that. These conferences were planned before we knew we'd be in First Timothy chapter 4. So not only did it go, the two conferences go with what we were talking about there in context, but also went to Genesis, the foundation, the foundation of the gospel, and then Revelation, the end, and, and the motivation for preaching and living the gospel, the motivation uh, just given to us, as Second Peter chapter 3 said, about the end, how it should motivate us, as we look to see that the heavens and the earth, 
will be destroyed. Peter says, what kind of lives should we be living if everything ends this way? And so we, we, we had a, a, a great um, opportunity to look at those two areas, the foundations and then the prophecies of how things come to pass. Now, to undermine these truths really is to destroy the foundations, to make everybody shaky and unsure, and to diminish motivation uh, to live holy lives. So it really sounds like a tactic straight out of the devil's playbook, as we can see here. Verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So let's pause here. We're going to work our way through the chapter, Lord willing. And the chapter, the thesis statement uh, for the chapter really is uh, Paul telling Timothy, be a good pastor this chapter is, here's what makes a good pastor, and what's good for the goose is good for the gander, so whatever would make somebody a good pastor would make them also a good Christian as well, because really the word that he's using is minister, and that word really is applied to all of us, uh, some of us in a more vocational sense, and others as a general sense, and so uh, the first thing he's going to say here, to be a good, mature, solid servant of the Lord is hang on tight. So if you're taking notes, uh, verses 1 through 5, hang on tight. Timothy, there's some shaking up that's coming, and you want to hold on to the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's some context. Some of you weren't with us when we were talking about all these things. Paul the Apostle has left young uh, Timothy. He's in his early 30s. Uh, in charge of a church in Ephesus uh, that's on its way back now from calamity and chaos. Paul saw it coming 10 years before. Uh, He talked to the pastors of that church before he left there. And he said, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. He said, even from your own number, men will arise from within your own church and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Well, that day had arrived. And so uh, there was a lot of false teaching, spiritual craziness, uh, splits, families and friends, confusion, chaos. Uh, The church was ineffective and unproductive, and they were off course because uh, if you don't have right thinking, you don't have right behavior. It's theology, behavior. So that's that's what was going on here. Then Paul and Timothy arrived to this church that was upside down, and he used his apostolic authority to really remove the heretics from the pulpit, uh, kick them out of the church, and appoint godly leaders. And uh, now sound doctrine was being taught, and things were looking up. 
Now, Paul had some pressing matters. He wanted to go up and visit the folks in Philippi, right? So he left um, Timothy in charge, and he went on that mission uh, trip. And now he's written Timothy from abroad saying, let me follow up. Now you're in charge. The church is coming back online on track. And here are some things that will make you a good pastor. First Timothy, second Timothy, the theme. And also to show you what a healthy church looks like. Here are healthy leaders. Here's how you should be doing things. Here's how the the church of God should conduct the worship services. And so, first of all, and and, uh, one through five now, he says, hang on tight, man. The Spirit's already told, told us, starting from the days of Pentecost on are the last days, and people are not gonna be in the mood to hear the truth. That as the years draw near for Christ to appear, they will become less and less inclined to hear the gospel, to receive the absolute truth. And so just be on guard that there's going to be a falling away. People, professed believers, are going to abandon the faith. They're going to buy, you know, the watered-down version. They're going to buy a version that doesn't offend anybody. And you're going to look like the narrow-minded haters, all right? He says, look, don't act so surprised. The Spirit explicitly tells us that those days are coming. And so uh, demons are responsible for those kinds of lies that lead people astray. So, okay, got it. This is supposed to be happening. Everything's going according to plan. Satan's found some guys who can scratch where everybody's itching and tell the world what they want to hear, and professed Christians will follow them. Now, we spent a whole hour talking about that one verse, verse 1 in your text. So if you're interested to hear that again or to hear it for the first time, it's online. Now, we're going to move on. Verses 2 through 5, Paul continues with the theme, hang on tight. That's what good Christians do. That's what good pastors do. They're not swayed. They see it coming, and they're going to weather that storm. And so the Holy Spirit now uses strong language to describe these false teachers. All right, verse 2, he calls them hypocritical liars. Okay, this implies that they know better. They know what they're doing. All right, now, of course they know better because who planted the church? the Apostle Paul, along with Apollos, the eloquence and the scholarship of Apollos. Not to mention the Apostle Paul. Priscilla and Aquila were godly leaders in that church. They knew. And everybody kind of always does know. I mean, nobody's ever going to stand before God and say, I didn't know. It just, at some level, we know. Because we have a God-given conscience. And the Holy Spirit's always talking to us. There are reasons they knew, and that's why they're called pretenders. That's what the word hypocrisy means. Pretending to be somebody you are not. Now, they have deliberately left. Why do they do that? Well, you know, there's lots of reasons. They got tired. They got tired. Self-denial. Picking up the cross. Following. It's a lot of work and discipline. They got tired of playing second fiddle to Paul the Apostle. How about me and the little me time? You know? So so they start saying, hey, listen, slandering Paul and Timothy and saying, hey, come listen to more modern ideas, which was called Gnosticism. So, I mean, there's lots of reasons. Maybe they wanted, uh, they saw the ministry as a lucrative thing, which they did. We're going to be talking about that. 
So there's lots of reasons people get seduced away from sound doctrine and sound behavior, right? Well, whatever it was, they knew better and they let it happen. And uh, then he goes on, verse 2 says, uh, that these guys can do the kind of damage they're doing to Christians in the church uh, because they're devoid of conscience. Their consciences are seared with a red hot iron. Now, this explains to why, why they can look at a congregation and be able to hurt them, to see families split up and divided and confused, to slander Paul the Apostle. How, how could you not be feeling Paul the Apostle gave to you and trusted you and, and you are indebted to Paul and Timothy? How could you say terrible things about them? They don't know what they're talking about. Listen to me. I'm smarter, I'm more spiritual, I'm more wise. They're backward, they're narrow-minded. Well, how could a guy do that without any feeling? Ah, the Bible tells you. When, when flesh is burned, there's a scar, and it's thick. And the nerve endings are damaged. You, don't, you can't feel anything. I've got a scar right here back in the days when I was very sick. I don't feel anything. I could rub my finger right there. I don't feel it. Because there's no nerve endings. That's what these guys are. And this is how it happens. The Holy Spirit prods. God speaks. The conscience goes, oh, pain, discomfort, red alert. Don't do that. And they do it anyway. And the more you keep letting that prod happen, the more you ignore the voice and the buzzer's going off, but you just get used to it. You know, it's like going in the ocean, the cold currents here. Man, you go in first, your ankles are throbbing. Your, your nerve endings are saying, you're an idiot. Get out of this water. What are you doing? There are sharks in there. No, <laughs> that was a little added there. But, uh, you know, and then what? Just ignore it. Just ignore it. Just wait. The voice will calm down. Did the water warm up? Or did your ability to sense the cold diminish? Because you neglected to hear the prompt. That's what these guys did. They knew the first time they were doing it. Pain, discomfort, guilt, all of it. And they kept going anyway. So... Paul gives us two examples of their false teaching. Very interesting. Uh, They forbid people to marry, and they ordered them to abstain from certain kinds of food. Kind of a legalistic approach. And so um, Paul has said, these teachings, uh, sorry, come from hell, really. He's already said the false teachers were really mouthpieces for teachings of demons. And so Satan's motivation, John 10.10, is to kill, steal, and destroy. And the way he does that is to attack and violate God's word. He twists it, he distorts it, and contradicts it, right? Because he's the father of lies. What was his first recorded words? How do we get into this mess? By questioning the authority of God's word. Has God really said? That's his first words that brought all of us down into this fallen world, has God really said. So if God says thou shalt, he says thou shalt not. And if God says thou shalt not, he says thou shalt, right? 
and that's, that's how it is. So here's these two random pieces of uh, false teaching that's very interesting in their day that they were teaching. Really, it's from uh, it's asceticism, and it's really a church spin on Plato, which Plato was kind of spirit is good, the body's bad, material is evil, body evil. Just discount it. So to get to treat it harshly is to be holy, and to uh, enjoy pleasure of any kind, whether God said you could or not, is evil and sin. So you're sinning if you're experiencing any kind of pleasure. So they honed in on marital intimacy and enjoying a good meal, and they said this is taboo. You will be more spiritual if, even if you're married, to abstain, even though you've already been married, or not to get married at all. They would forbid it. And, and, and if you're already married, you know, separate bedrooms. Yeah, a lot of fun. <laughs> not a lot of fun. So um, now they're called hypocrites for more than one reason. Not only did they know better, but they were sexually immoral. So they preach, oh, no. Sex is bad in, in marriage. And then they were sexually immoral. They wouldn't even bother getting married. And if they were married, they were not abstaining, even though they were saying they were abstaining. And then they were saying, oh, no, just the meager uh, foods that will keep you alive, that's what you do. And so the monastic orders come from this kind of thinking, right? Uh, kind of starve the body, fast as much as you can. And really, it's kind of a, a bread and water kind of life because that's what makes us holy, not, right? Now, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 to 28, we have the ordinance of marriage. Now, it's very interesting that back in that time, they were restricting, Satan was restricting the idea of marriage. What's happening today? He's broadening it. Did God really say man and woman? Well, let me read it to you. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them, the male and the female, said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, and, subdue it, and he brought them together. So either you broaden it today or you negate it completely. It's just a piece of paper. They don't need it. Sir, If it were just a piece of paper, you would do it because it wouldn't mean anything if it's just a piece of paper. But the reason you're not doing it is because it's more than just a piece of paper. And all God's people said, you know you wanted to say amen there. So now let's talk about the food thing. Oh, man. Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 29 through 30 said, Uh, Before the fall, we were vegetarians. He said, I give you fruits, veggies, grains, seeds, and nuts. Go for it. And then after the fall, God determined that we're going to need more protein. Something happened there. And he said uh, in Genesis 9, 3, and just let me quote God's word, first person, everything that lives, everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. So verse 
4, Paul elaborates, God created all food to be enjoyed by those who know the truth. What's the truth? Well, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out. This is from Matthew 15, Jesus said to everybody, he let them know, it's from within, it's your heart. With all of these things, I can read it. The problem is the heart. Uh, From the heart come evil thoughts and sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, envy. This is the problem you guys should be worrying about. What comes out, what you say, how you live, not the food that goes in and passes through you. Jesus' words there. Uh, By saying that, he pronounced all food clean. Um, That's in Mark chapter 7 and verse 19. Um, Paul the Apostle just says in 1 Corinthians 8, 8, But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do eat it or if we do not. We aren't any better. And so now to substantiate this statement, he's going to kind of elaborate uh, elaborate a little bit here in verse 4. He says, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God in prayer. Consecrated by the word of God. What does that mean? It means it's sanctioned. Same word. Consecrated and sanctioned come from the same word. It's sanctioned by the word of God. He said, I give you everything. Everything that moves and breathes and lives, it's yours. So Paul's saying, we can do this. And they're lying to you because it's sanctioned. It's okayed by the word of God and prayer. Well, how is it consecrated by prayer? You're not praying the cooties out of the food. You're not saying, oh, Lord, even though I shouldn't be eating this, I just pray for it, that you would bless it. You're not blessing the food. That's a misnomer. You're blessing God who gave you the food. Look at your text. Notice that. You're not asking God to bless the food, but you're thanking God for the blessing of providing the food which he has sanctioned for you to eat. The word of God has no restrictions. It's sanctioned. All food. The Christian thanks God for providing it. It's all good. Now, whenever you hear someone talking God and certain foods or special diets, or miracle drinks and vitamins in the Bible, smile, nod your head politely, and get yourself to the nearest in and out that you can (laughs) find. Order yourself a double-double, all right? And wash it down with a Coke. You know what? And thank God for a yummy meal, amen? (laughs) Oh, my word. Christians, please help me. Stop this madness, all right? Just stop the madness. Be a good pastor, Timothy. Christian, be a good servant. Hang on tight. We've got some messed up, unfeeling dudes out there teaching crazy, unbelievable, unbiblical things. A lot of shaking up going on in the process. We're going to lose some friends and family. You're going to look stupid, but that's okay. Hang on tight. Let's move on. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, of course, always implied, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. There it is, your thesis statement for the chapter. You'll be a good servant of the Lord, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do 
with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and we strive that we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially of those who believe. Let's pause there. We've seen hang on tight, right? Now be willing to fight. Be willing to fight. Now, strong verbs in this section. Train, labor, Strive. We're going to look at those words. But given the spiritual climate, given the confusion that has crept into the Christian community, given the spiritual component that's a part of it and revealed as such, and given what's on the line, eternal things, eternal souls, Paul is saying to Timothy, man, rise to the occasion with some courage. This is an appeal for a spiritual backbone. It's just saying you're going to have to toughen up if you're going to live in these last days and do well and stand before God and have him look you eyeball to eyeball and say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you want to hear that, you're going to have to hang on tight and be willing to fight. Amen. There's no way to be a mediocre Christian and you're going to get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not everybody gets to hear that, by the way. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. There are people who arrive in heaven with nothing to show for it except they're saved. They just escape through the flames. They're still on fire when they're standing there. They're like, whoa, that was close. That was close. That's exactly what the Bible says. I'm not kidding around. And half of us think that's going to be me, right? Everybody, everybody thinks that of themselves. Because we know ourselves. Everybody sees the outside, but we hear the dialogue. We know what's really going on in there. So we're thinking, well, I'll just be happy to be there. Just give me a little shack on some cul-de-sac. I'll be happy, right? But you know what? You're going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised. He says, I, I pass out rewards in heaven for a cup of cold water in my name. He's been keeping track. A cup of cold water is a compliment to somebody. He's been tre- keeping track to reward you because he wants it to be Christmas morning. I'm off of my notes, by the way. He, <laughs> surprise! Uh, he's looking forward like a dad on Christmas morning when you get there. Look what's under the tree for you. Right? So he's found a way to, to, to reward you for a cup of cold water in his name. Just the tiniest little efforts are going to bring good, big rewards. So don't, don't be thinking, you know, you're going to need a fire extinguisher, you know, uh, necessarily. But some will. And some of these guys who started off as born-again Christians, they shipwrecked their lives because they didn't hold on tight. A lot of Christians, a lot, millions of them in this age have followed deceiving spirits and have abandoned the gospel for something else. It's not the gospel. They may indeed be saved, but that's right through the flames. Why? Because they embraced wrong thinking. And when you embrace wrong thinking, you have wrong living. This is the rudder. And the rudder goes this way and it's stuck this way. You're going to end up going that way. Now, he says, 
you will be a good pastor if, oh, when I see an if, and it says, brother, you want to be a good pastor? If you point these things out. Courage, backbone. You mean I got to point these things out? Yeah. You got to get up there and you got to say, Hymenius has been lying to you. Alexander, Phygelus over there, they've been saying things that are not biblical. Avoid them. I got to do that? Yeah, you do. And when you see something on Facebook that's not biblical, that somebody's buying into, am I my brother's keeper? Well, actually, a murderer was the one who asked that question. So the answer to that question is, yeah, you are your brother's keeper. You have to point these things out. What good is a Christian or a pastor who doesn't tell the sheep there's poison ivy there? They're like, oh, that looks good. Nom, nom, nom. You know what? Do not eat the poison ivy. I think I'm going for a stroll over there. You know there's a cliff. What good is the pastor who doesn't point these things out? He says, you'll be a good pastor if, if you point them out. How about if you don't? Then you're worse than bad. You're complicit. Because you knew there was a cliff and you knew that was poisonous and you're just too afraid to say anything because the church attendance will decline and people won't be giving people won't like me at Thanksgiving I'll have to sit at the kids table (laughs) you're not even gonna sit at the kids table soon you'll be out with the dog right they don't want you indoctrinating their children we want to put you at the kids table you're gonna be out on the back porch with the pets And soon they'll take the pets in. (laughs) If you point these things out, a good minister also is well-nourished. Check that out. I love these little verses where you just skip over. Verse 6, you're well-nourished. Verse 6 says that good, solid Bible teaching and Bible study is the most important preventive measure against spiritual deception and abandoning your faith. God gave us pastors. He equipped the church. The word there is gifted. He gifted the church with pastors and teachers and evangelists who all they can do is think about these things. All they want to do is study these things. They get up and all they want to do is pour out and equip you so that you don't eat the poisonous things, so that you don't end up going off the cliff. But even Timothy, he's telling Timothy, you need teaching. Pastors need pastors. I have pastors. I listen to teachings. I have two favorite guys I listen to all the time. What's good for the goose, good for the gander. Find a Bible teacher. Find a pastor. Find teachings. Spend time in the word of God. They'll keep you. It'll keep you. Uh, Verse 7. A good minister uh, doesn't get in, I love this verse, doesn't get entangled in nonsense, theological nonsense. So he says, Timothy, my son, have nothing to do with these godless myths and old wives' tales. Now, uh, along with don't marry and you can't eat this and you can't eat that, they had a lot of other stuff going on, which Paul just simply calls nonsense. It's crazy. And, and occasionally, crazy stuff comes through the Christian community. It's just crazy. 
Just nonsense. And I mean, I'm thinking of some things already. I'm going to say it. Gold dust. Gold dust. That God puts gold dust on certain people's hands, right? That to show that they have the gift of healing. Now, somebody came into my office and said, they've been anointed with gold dust and put out their hands and said, do you see it? And I said, no, I don't. I don't see anything. Look closer, he said. I said, I'm looking really close. In fact, you can get out a microscope. I'm not going to see any gold dust there, bro. Stop. Crazy, crazy stuff. I had a guy standing right there. He no longer stands there because he doesn't go to our church anymore. And he said, God gave me a gold crown on one of my two. This was the 80s. And very 90s, all right? God was just going around zapping people with gold crowns. Why? I don't know, right? Okay, no answers. <laughs> you're, you're confusing me. All right, so I told the brother, I said, one of my best friends is a dentist. He would love to look at your gold crown. Just want to see if God uses the same techniques that a dentist might use. <laughs> He says, you don't believe me, do you? And I said, no, of course I don't believe you. You had that gold crown. You probably forgot you had it. What are you telling me God will put a gold crown in your mouth? And if you do think it, why don't you let me take you to my best friend, Christian Kelson? Don't he laugh? Mad. <laughs> Have nothing to do with these godless Things of nonsense. Just nonsense, he says. Stay focused. Sidestep completely. Time suckers like that. Yes, defend the faith. Yes, we're always prepared to give an answer for uh, the hope that we have when the people ask us. And yes, we spend time with those who are struggling to find out the truth. But there's a difference between somebody who's struggling to find the truth and somebody who's already drifted away, made a conclusion about something, and then wants to take you to lunch to convince you that you should leave Orthodox Christianity for the, the doctrines of gold dust and gold crowns. He says, have nothing to do with it. He says, hey, I got a better idea for you. Train yourself to be godly. Redeem the time, man. Instead of going out with a guy who just wants to go around the mountain over and over again and talk nonsense, why don't you spend a little time in prayer? Why don't you go downtown and pass out some tracts? Why don't you hit your knees and open your Bible? He says, train yourself. Don't be sucked into fruitless conversations. Timothy, use discernment. When you already know beforehand that this shall be a fruitless conversation, do not put yourself in there. There's Christ is coming. There are people, thank you, there are people who are lost and dying and you want to chat around, is there really a hell? Is there really a hell? What are you talking about, sir? And you want to talk about, look at your hands and look in your mouth and, and half the world is perishing right now. He says, don't have anything to do with it. Sidestep it. Whoa, almost cost me two hours there. But I could have been going downtown and sharing the gospel with somebody and training myself up, edifying myself so that I'd be more useful in the kingdom of God. That is what he's talking about. Amen. Amen. 
He says, gymnazo yourself in the Greek, where we get the word gym or gymnasium, right? So he's saying, listen, go to the gym spiritually, kid. Watch out for investing in fruitless areas like these guys. Do not do it. Instead, work out spiritually, right? Uh, I have a quote here for you. Some Christians are very disciplined with the here and now. Diet and exercise, that's their thing. For example, they're consistent at the gym. They discipline themselves at their profession, uh, finance, and studies. But their soul is sadly out of shape. Their prayer life is out of form. Their character, weak. Their faith is flabby. They may be able to climb the mountain without breaking a sweat, but a five-minute walk with God leaves them panting and out of breath. Ouch. (laughs) Amen? Listen, it's good to be buff and in, I, I just want to be buffed on the inside and buffed on the outside, right? That's okay. Well, I, I, the second, the latter is not going to happen in this lifetime for me. But you know what? Be, we're supposed to be physically fit and spiritually felt, fit. But the point of this passage is, Timothy, watch out for wasting your time and getting your priorities in balance. The temporal things that all the world just runs after and they have schedules and goals and routines for things that aren't going to last. You can be the most fit person in the world, but time and gravity will take its toll, brother. I know, I just turned 55. Just, it just The gravity is it's happening to me. You know what? He says, invest in eternal things. Pastor Jay, who founded the church Calvary Chapel Petaluma with seven people. Love that guy. We're very good friends. And back in the day, we were having in and out burger and two jocks, probably six, four, six, five, tank tops, tanned, good looking, walked by. Or should I say, strutted in. (laughs) Not too obnoxious, just two guys, guys. And we both looked at them. And I looked back and I kind of did something with my eyebrows like, whoa. (laughs) And he said, you know what a real man is? A real man, Pastor Jay, who's an athlete, he said to me, a real man can lead someone to Christ. And I was like almost choked on my hamburger. You know why? I was like... (laughs) I'm a real man. I'm a real man. You know You know what? I had a guy in my office many years ago, so you don't think it's you. <laughs> Buffed out. His muscles had muscles. All right? And he's telling me, oh, no, it's too hard. It's too hard. I can't. I can't. And if I do that, then this will happen. And I'm afraid, and I'm afraid. And no, no, it's too hard. It's hard. It's too hard. I said, You are a wuss. I said, what is wrong with you? Look at your body. You are not the same way on the inside. I would love it if God could just right now just show us what we all look like on the inside. Well, maybe not. (laughs) He's saying, man, come on, Timothy. 
it's good to be physically fit, but why don't you practice being patient, set some goals for your Bible reading, uh, practice praying for people you don't like, watch your tongue, check your attitude, set some goals, work out. Check your life out. Where, where am I weak in character? Where are my spiritual disciplines waning? Where, for my love, where with my love of God? Where am I at with my love for God? Work on those things. Work at them. No problem if I can see it in the mirror. No problem. I'll sacrifice. I'll go on the diet. But how about when you stand before God? Come on. Amen? Where's that amen? Come on, sister. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now he he goes on to say, uh, verse 9, love when he does this. What I'm about to say is really important. That's what he says. He says in verse 9, you could take what I'm about to say to the bank. He's saying, you can build your entire life and ministry on what I'm about to say in one sentence. The bottom line, this is why we train, labor, and strive. Here's the fight words. Training, accomplishing like an athlete, an intense workout. Laboring, the Greek word means to work to the point of exhaustion. Striving means to, in the Greek, it's where we get the word agonize. This is asking a pastor to train, labor, and strive. And he's asking a Christian servant with every, to exert what seems to be your very last ounce of energy. What? To win the spiritual race that is set before you. Why? He says, one sentence. We have a living God who is the Savior of the world. Wow. Wow. If that doesn't motivate you to give it all, that the living God who spoke the worlds into being, who shall come and and ask of an accounting of all people he gave life and breath to, if that doesn't make you want to uh, work out and, and, and labor and strive for the kingdom, not for just your own world, but for spiritual things. And now it's curious, I just got to say, he says, God is the savior of all, but especially to those who believe. The word there really means particularly or, uh, or specifically of those who believe. He is not the savior. He is the savior of all men potentially. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his, his only son that whosoever. So he's, and the angel says that this good news of a savior would be great joy for all the people, you see? So in that regard, Jesus is savior of all men. But don't let a universalist use this verse to say, see? And it's just, everybody's saved. It's just you believers especially are saved. <laughs> what does that mean anyway? So it means particularly or, or specifically, it's us who make good that promise. John 3.36, in case you have doubts. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. In that regard, he is not the Savior of all people, 
because even though he wants them to be saved, they refuse to be saved. Let's finish up. Verse 12. Now, Timothy, or in verse 11, my bad, command and teach these things. Wow, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Set an example for believers. Speech, life, love, faith, and impurity. Now, until I come, he never does. He gets rearrested, shipped to Rome, and is executed. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Don't neglect your gift, which was given you through prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, if you do, if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now look at you already. A chapter through the Bible, you haven't even had lunch or breakfast, some of you. That's so awesome. Okay, hang on tight, Timothy. Be willing to fight. And now keep the truth in sight. Keep the truth in sight. Now, Timothy is going to have to exercise a little authority here. He's to command these things. He's not to suggest them. He's not to stand up and say, hey, listen, there are a lot of views out there. You know, we just need to pick one. Find one that works for you. All right? No, he says, Timothy, I want you to command these things. And you think it's just Paul. Let me remind you about our our great Lord and Savior Jesus, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus comes to them and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What? Did you catch that? Your job and mine is to go out to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, the new progressive Christianity, you don't even know what that is. Because can we really be sure? What does that really mean and all of this? We're supposed to be teaching it and that they may obey everything. What did Jesus say? Well, he taught on the sanctity of marriage. He taught on the holiness of God. He taught on the end of the world. Matthew 24, blow by blow. He said, there's a tribulation coming, folks. It's unequaled from the beginning of the dawn of time, nor will it ever happen again. And he said, "If, if God didn't stop the days, nobody on the planet would be living. Are we supposed to teach this? Teach them everything and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, that's not very... Repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Oh, no. (laughs) Somebody told me, I will never tell somebody to repent of their sins. That's the new Christianity. Oh, we just love people. We just love people. Pat them on the back. Yeah, it's all good. Watch out. Watch your doctrine and your life closely. You're going to be swept away. So there's a lot of things. Paul's just reiterating. Keep the truth out front. 
And he says, even though that's going to be hard, you're young, you're in your early 30s, they're going to give you a hard time about that. He says, verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you uh, because of your age, your youthfulness. I used to have a problem with that. <laughs> I don't anymore. <laughs> and every July, I have less and less trouble uh, having people look down on me because of my age. Uh, now listen, how do you keep someone from looking down on you? You know, it's a free world. Here's what he says. Don't give him any cause. Don't give him any ammo. And this is a, is a theme in the New Testament about all of our detractors. All Christians are called to live above reproach. So you pull the rug out from underneath people who want to say, that's not a credible person because you know what? They don't pay their taxes. You know what? I heard him tell them one thing and then do something else. He says, Timothy, there are five areas that come to mind. And even though you're a 30-year-old man up in charge in front of everybody, I want you to know if you keep, number one, speech, your speech. Speak with wisdom and grace and let your words be uplifting. Number two, your life. Be responsible. Follow through. Be on time. Do what you, you have promised. Live above reproach. Number three, love. Be a caring, warm-hearted, compassionate patient and helpful person number four faith let your praying and your worshiping and your growing in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ and your fear of god just permeate everything you do and lastly your purity you're a young man you're not married man you've got to be self-controlled upright have moral fortitude Carelessness in any of these areas, Timothy, will spell disaster and undermine your credibility when it comes to proclaiming the truth. What does he know? He's 30 years old, and then bam, choose something from one of these, one of these categories. So keep the truth in sight. Make it the center of the worship service. Read it out loud. Many people did not have scrolls. Read it. Make the Bible, the centerpiece of the Christian worship service. Read it, preach it, and teach it. That's my call. That's, that's what I do. That's what I give my life to. That's what I spend most of my hours doing, 20 hours or more on Sundays, 10 plus or more if I can get it for Wednesdays. 30 hours of my week because that's what God requires He says, give yourself over to it. You may have the gift of pastoring. It's a gift. You may have the gift of teaching. It's a gift. You may have the the gift of speaking. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. But he says, give yourself to it. Study harder. Cooperate with the gift that God has given you. Just say, oh, I'll have that gift. And oftentimes when you have the gift, you really have the gift. You know, somebody could... Tell somebody who can speak, here, you know, here's a technical thing. Once the person understands it, they can teach it because they have the gift. But he said, don't just fall back. Now, apparently what happened here was before Paul left that church, they called Timothy up and recognized him as the senior pastor and laid their hands, the rest of the elders, pastors, laid their hands on him and it it was acknowledged, man, God has equipped you with a gift. And he says, "Don't, don't forget that powerful moment where you knew you had 
what it takes to do the job God has called you to do. You were made for this. May I say that? May I look right at you and say whatever circumstance you're in, whatever challenge you're facing, you were born for this. You were made for this. God himself equipped you and put you there and said, with my grace and my gifting and my call on your life, you're in that place because I put you there. You're going to overcome. You're made for this. Timothy. Everybody's splitting and people are slandering me and they're writing stuff on Facebook. (laughs) He tells them three things. Hang on tight. Be willing to fight. Keep the truth in sight. And it'll save you and your hearers. Well, Timothy's already saved, as many of his hearers are. So he doesn't mean salvifically. He means it'll save you from what we're talking about. Abandoning the faith. Being saved and taking a hard swerve and ending poorly. Who cares how you really started? Oh, back in the day, sizzling and all this, gifts and callings and everybody's like, wow, look at that kid go. Left a life of this and that and oh, wow. When you end poorly, really, that's what matters. Finish well, Timothy, You'll save yourself the embarrassment, uh, the pain, the the wasted years, and, and you'll save yourself, if you watch your life, how you live, and your teaching, you'll save yourself from standing before God and Him saying you were actually part of the problem, not part of the answer. You were causing confusion. You were hindering the pastor. All the guys are out preaching the gospel. They're having Sunday services downtown in the square. People are getting saved. They're baptizing people. Marriages are being strengthened. People are coming to know the Lord. And you over here, making it harder and harder, dividing people, causing hurt and pain. Jesus saying to them, you actually were a handful. What happened? No reward for these years. Reward for these years. No reward for turning against your conscience and receiving something that was not the gospel. You didn't defend. You didn't stand up. You wussed out. There's nothing to say about that. Wood, hay, stubble, gone. Timothy, watch your life. How you living? Watch your doctrine. And it'll save you from that terrible moment that many, many people will face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. Thank you for your grace. Lord, every time I read the Bible, Lord, every time I just sobered up. I'm just, wow, what am I doing? What am I doing? It's happening. The living God is going to appear any second. I, I want to be found faithful and, and not wasting time and saying dumb things and doing stupid things and uh, falling short and uh, having a bad attitude. All of these things, Lord, I, we just want to be found hit in the bullseye, 
at the spiritual gym, agonizing for you, laboring, striving, giving our all. Lord Jesus, help us to take these words to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, almost got carried away. It happens sometimes. <laughs> uh, without taking the Lord's Supper so quickly now, well, here's what we're going to do. You know, this is a great message for communion. And let me tell you why. And listen, there were many people in here, myself included, who just felt a little bit grieved because I don't live like that all the time. Who does? What, what sinner does? So in every way that you felt like, man, I don't even have a prayer life. The only time I read the Bible is when you read it to me, Pastor Ross, to be quite honest. I don't work out at the gym. I work out at the physical gym, but I do not work out at God's gym. Listen, you're not alone. We're all gut areas, growing edges, okay? That's why we have a table to come to. And, and Jesus says, you're going to fall short. And when you do, just talk to me about it. Turn from it. Turn to me. I'll wash you clean. We'll start new. It'll be new mercy, a new day, a new beginning. And let's set some goals. Let's get started. And that can be gone because of what he did on the cross You know what? Believe it. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He'll wash us clean. He does it every time. So you're going to be past the bread and the cup together. Hold on to both of them until I come back after the song and we'll worship the Lord. We'll receive it. We'll pray. It'll be time to go. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.